Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to your favorite one-stop shop for horror news, true crime, and real-life tales of the unexplained. Monsters at Midnight, The Revenge. Brought to you in a bi-weekly capacity, now on Tuesday, because life is strange, and my schedule has changed uh, slightly in the realms outside of this podcast uh so it's gonna be on tuesday now so i hope that's not too much of an inconvenience got a really good episode here planned for you one that i'm very excited about uh really gonna go in depth on a topic i don't talk about as much as i typically do um at least, I mean, there was that episode that I just did with Jake and Levon. Uh, but we're going to be talking about uh, a couple of video games that are near and dear to my heart. As well as a couple of horror movie trailers that just released that I am looking forward to. So, without further ado, bolt your doors, lock your windows, and turn out the lights... I fucked it up, but that's fine. Monsters at Midnight, the motherfucking revenge, rides again. I just want to start things off quick uh, with a little follow-up to my Black Christmas uh, reviews that I did in the last episode. The 2006 film, I was sort of talking about how there was a general sense of... uh, lacking cohesion of how uh, things didn't really seem to gel up, how there is like this super over-the-top exploitation-style narrative about the killer's backstories mixed with this really by-the-numbers and long-winded sorority house slasher movie. And come to learn that, believe it or not, problems behind the scenes. Uh... I somehow missed this, um, and for some reason didn't do enough research when I uh, first did this episode. Um, but Black Christmas 2006 is a Dimension Film production. Shocking, I know, given how uh, <laughs> extravagant it is. And there's, of course, were a lot of different... Um, differing opinions on how things uh, should look. Uh, Director and writer Glenn Morgan wanted to do a really moody, respectful remake of Black Christmas, but our old friends, the Weinstein brothers, had, had their own opinions. Honestly, it's kind of comical at this point that if there is some sort of issue behind the scenes regarding a slasher movie from like the 90s until the mid 2000s you can bet that the weinstein brothers had something to do with uh, the troubles behind it um unfortunately i read or i heard somewhere that um glenn morgan was really banking on this movie being a success and he sort of uh He sort of vowed to never make a movie again if this one didn't go over well, and it didn't go over well, and he stayed true to his word and has not made a movie ever since. Uh, He did a lot of work on the X-Files, but he has not made a feature film ever since 2006 at this point, which is a shame because, like I said in the 
last week's episode that while I don't necessarily like the film, it is a very visually stylish film that I think um, really holds up well and especially looks really good considering that it came out in 2006 when a lot of a lot of horror movies in that era were really banking on the like green and blue color saturation grime and grit and stuff like that um so i just felt that was important to note um because it's an interesting bit of trivia and it's honestly super sad to me when things like this happen because it happens so frequently that uh, directors and writers never, very seldom get to see their actual like vision come to life uh, without some sort of interfe- interference from the powers that be. But moving on, we're going to talk about a couple of horror movie trailers that were released within the month here that I am very excited for. Starting with Renfield. A little synopsis on Google says, Renfield, the tortured aide to his narcissistic boss, Dracula, is forced to procure his master's prey and do his every bidding. However, after centuries of servitude, he's ready to see if there's a life outside the shadow of the Prince of Darkness. This movie looks like a lot of fun. I am very excited for it. Um... Looks like it's got a little uh, sort of what we do in the shadows vibe going on, but also it looks like it's got a little bit more action uh, to it based on the trailer. We also see Renfield in this uh, support group trying to (laughs) work through his problems. Obviously, this is like a reinterpretation of the characters of Dracula and uh, Renfield from the original Bram Stoker novel uh, set in the modern day with a new twist to it. Um... It's a given that the main selling point for me for this movie is Nicolas Cage is playing Count Dracula, which is amazing. Um, Listening to Nicolas Cage talk in interviews, he's very influenced by uh, German expressionist films like The uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Nosferatu. And then, of course, he used some of his... uh, some mannerisms uh, like Max Shrek in uh, the famous movie uh, Vampire's Kiss. Um, so I think, honestly, I'm very excited to see what he does in this performance. It seems like it's going to be a very suitable role for him. Uh, but yeah, this movie, I don't know, this movie it also looks like it could be a couple different things that maybe don't work super well. Um it has these sort of like John Wick looking uh, action sequences in them where like uh, Renfield eats bugs and then <laughs> becomes like this mercenary <laughs> um, for, I mean, obviously uh, for uh, Dracula's will, um, not just for the fun of it or because someone killed his dog. Um, a lot of the comedy in the uh, in the trailer falls a little flat. I'm hoping that it's just uh, it has to do with the edit and the trailer itself. Um, I'm hoping that it's uh, not representative of the film, but I'm still looking forward to it nonetheless. Uh, the trailer is out for Renfield. Release date is going to be April fourteenth, twenty twenty three. Next trailer I want to talk about, and one that I am super stoked for, Evil Dead Rise. 
think it's a great title too. Um, it, it had a different title originally, um, but I and it was nowhere near as good. It was like Evil Dead Now or something like that, which I thought was stupid. But Evil Dead Rise is a lot cooler and a clever dub, double entendre, given that. Uh, well, we'll read the synopsis here. A woman finds herself in a fight for her life when an ancient book gives birth to a bloodthirsty demons that run amok in a Los Angeles apartment building. So, yeah, we've got a big switch up here from the traditional Evil Dead cabin in the woods setting. Looks like, uh, based on the trailer, there's a very uh, familial aspect to it as well. The uh, Not sh quite sure who the the like the lead heroine's uh, relation is to this uh, mother, but this mother seems to be possessed by the book and has two very young children. It is a... It's, it looks like it's going to be brutal. There is, of course, a red band trailer and a green band trailer out for it. Um, and like with Evil Dead 2013, it's... It's going to be gnarly. There is a choice moment in the Red Band trailer that <laughs> appears to involve someone taking a cheese grater to someone's leg. It's just... Uh, um, but I'm very interested to see uh, this new location for this type of story, and especially uh, the new dynamic of horror that's going to be present with, um, two very young children involved. Uh, trailer delivers on a lot of the classic imagery, though. We have some, uh, roaming POV entity footage. We've got some reading of the book. We've got someone covered head to toe in blood carrying a chainsaw. And it also looks like we might go into these characters' pasts a little bit, too. There appear to be what look like flashback sequences taking place at some sort of, like, summer uh, vacation, like, cabin-type resort. So maybe that'll tie back into the franchise. Maybe someone from the family went to the original cabin or a similar cabin and found the book. Who knows? But I'm very excited. Uh, it's going to be directed by Lee Cronin. Also going to be uh, produced by Robert Tappert, Bruce Campbell, and Sam Raimi. Similar for what they did for uh, Evil Dead 2013, it looks like Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi, and Rob Tappert handpicked a relatively unknown director named Lee Cronin. I'm not sure if I mentioned that already. An Irish filmmaker who at this point only has one other film to his name, which is... The Hole in the Ground, uh, which is uh, the only uh, feature film he has to his name. So similarly to what they did to uh, with uh, Fede Alvarez, I think they went through just uh, small-time directors and uh, looking to give someone a shot, much like what their circumstances were when they did the first Evil Dead. But, yeah... I'm stoked for this. Um, I still really like Evil Dead 2013. I think that is a brutal and vicious uh, balls-to-the-wall horror movie. Um, kind of like what you would imagine they would have gone for if, with the original um, had they had the budget. Less of a sense of humor, which uh, turns a lot of people off. The Evil Dead 2013 is very, very dark. Um who knows, maybe we'll see a little bit more uh, 
dark comedy uh, splat stick in Evil Dead Rise, but that's going to be releasing on April 21st, 2023, and both the Red Band and Green Band trailers are available to watch now. If you saw those trailers and uh, are curious to, or uh, want to voice your opinion on them, you can always feel free to shoot us a DM on Facebook or Instagram or send us an email at monsters.midnight, midnight spelt incorrectly, at gmail.com. If you have any topics you'd like to see dis- uh, discussed on the show or any questions you'd like to ask me, uh, you can always feel free to reach out. I am open to all suggestions. And I love hearing from you guys, and I appreciate your support very much. Getting into the meat and potatoes of this episode, I want to talk about a twisted little game series that you've probably heard of, but maybe you've never played, Rockstar's Manhunt video games. These games are interesting. Uh, Both of them, there's only two entries. Both Manhunt games are games that I consider favorites of mine, um, but I never actively think about them because I'm I mainly consider them favorites based on concept and just a really solid gameplay loop than like a full like uh, gameplay video game narrative experience. Um. I'm not going to give an extensive history lesson on these games. If you know about these games, you're probably already familiar with the just extensive controversies uh, behind them. Uh, Probably the biggest battle with uh, the media that Rockstar faced. Probably even bigger than uh, the Grand Theft Auto games. Um especially the second one. Um, There are a couple of videos that I recommend checking out if you are interested in these games. Uh, These people are a lot uh, smarter than me when it comes to uh, vocalizing how I feel about video games. Uh, Grimbeard, who has a lot of just great uh, video game reviews and contents, uh, he has videos on both Manhunt games Liam Triforce has a video on the first uh, Manhunt, and the channel Gamers, spelt with a V instead of an A, uh, does sort of like a history lesson about uh, the development and controversy surrounding both Manhunt games. I recommend checking those out. Um, Both games have many shortcomings that make it difficult to give them blanket recommendations, However, I think that Rockstar completionists and fans of dark, twisted, brutal horror should definitely give them a try. Um, Both of these games are stealth horror games with a very unique gameplay loop that still feels very fresh today. Um, When it comes to horror in video games, obviously there's room for interpretation and margins in between and bleed over, but it generally seems that horror video games are one of two different types of games. There's survival horror, like Resident Evil and Silent Hill, 
where you have a limited supply of weapons and healing items and you have to fight monsters or zombies to progress through this story. Then there's the second camp of horror video games, which you primarily see in more of the independent community, where it's sort of the run-and-hide style of video games, like Amnesia and Outlast, where you really don't have a whole lot of uh, power against whatever it is you are facing. And a lot of it is just like solving puzzles and trying to evade whatever it is that is out there trying to get you man the manhunt games are definitely horror games but are so unlike either of those two camps that they still hold up remarkably well in that gameplay loop at least and are really fascinating and still really fun for the most part <laughs> we'll get into that to go back and play um i played both of these games on pc uh it's not super difficult to get these games up and running on modern hardware of course uh the first manhunt i believe came out in 2003 and the second manhunt was 2007 i believe um Yes, 2003 for Manhunt 1 and 2007 for Manhunt 2. Both of them released in October, which is super cool. Um, so yeah, it's not super difficult to get these games up and running on modern computers. Although for Manhunt 1, you it is imperative, it's like necessary to install fan patches for it. As early on in the game, uh, I mean, one of the biggest, apart from a myriad of issues with like, with like cutscenes not rendering properly and audio looping, there the most famous bug is like in the first level of the game, you'll get to a gate door that you're like a chain link gate that swings open that you're supposed to just be able to walk through and you can't walk through it <laughs> if you don't have fan patches applied to it. Uh, it's not difficult to find or install these fan patches. It takes about five minutes, but it it is it is funny that just like most games before 2010 are just not continuously supported. Manhunt 2 has a lot of quality of life patches that I would recommend installing stuff like field of view uh, adjusting um, different things like graphical enhancements and uh, uh, just a few things here and there that just tweak the game to make it play a little bit easier uh, Manhunt 2 is interesting though because for PC it is considered abandonware because you cannot you cannot buy Manhunt 2 firsthand for PC, like, anywhere anymore. Unless you find, like, I don't know, like an old Amazon key or something like that. You just, you can't, but you realistically can't buy it. It's been delisted everywhere that it's been, it was sold. Which was only, like, Amazon and, uh a place called gamers gate which doesn't exist anymore or a website rather the the, the magic of the internet it's a magical place uh 
I do actually remember back in high school buying Manhunt 2 on Gamerskate, um, which is funny. Um, I also own the Wii and PlayStation Portable ports for it, um, which is even funnier. I think I found... Well, I got the play PSP port on eBay, and I actually think I found the Wii port at, like, a GameStop, which was pretty fucking sick. Um, if you want to play it on PC, since it is Abandonware, it is uh, not difficult to find, is how I'll put it, um, but you should always proceed with caution if you are going to be doing something like that. Uh, why get the PC port versus the console port? It is the most uncensored version of Manhunt 2. Famously, and we'll get into the mechanics and everything, famously, Manhunt 2 had to had to be recertified by the ESRB several times before it could actually be released on consoles uh, because it was a, uh, given an AO adults-only rating, uh, even though it's really no more violent than the first game. I think everyone was just in such a fucking fluster about the first game already that they were like, oh, hell no, not with this shit again, Rockstar. Um, so there is, like... Over the violent execution cutscenes, there is this just like layers upon layers of distortion and filters, and to the point where you can barely make out what's happening on the console versions. The PC port is virtually uncensored. There's still a lot of content that had to be removed or just didn't make it past beta testing, but you can see all the nasty bits that are happening in Manhunt 2 on PC. But let's get into talking about the games individually. A little, uh, little, little gamer time here. A little, a little game reviews for you. Um, starting with Manhunt. I'm going to read you the synopsis directly from Rockstar's website. They just killed Cash. Now they want to kill him again. America is full of run-down, broken, rust-belt towns where nobody cares and anything goes. In Carcer City, nothing matters anymore, and all that's left are cheap thrills. The ultimate rush is the power to grant life and take it away for sport. This time, James Earl Cash, you are the sport. They gave you your life back. Now they are going to hunt you down. Very vague synopsis. I imagine that's what's printed on the back of like the console release boxes. Um, the broader strokes are that James Earl Cash is a death row inmate who is sent to get lethal injection for his crimes, but it is revealed that a, uh, the corrupt uh, uh, chief of police was bribed into giving you a sedative instead of killing you. And he was bribed by a this uh, snuff film director, this propri proprietor of snuff films, so you can be the star in his latest snuff film. And you work your way through these dilapidated environments in Carcer City, being hunted by these different gang affiliations, uh, basically to be filmed uh, for a snuff film. And it is kill or be kill. Until it is revealed that uh, the director, Starkweather, his name is, uh, reve it's revealed that he intended to have you killed as the final act for his film, and then it is a mission to track him down. And again, terrible with spoiler tags. 
we're going to be spoiling uh, a lot of both of these games. So if you want to give them a try, definitely do it. I'd say it's worth it. Um, if these have always piqued your interest or you're just looking for something really weird and uh, nasty to play through. Um, and uh, like I said, these type of games are pretty unique still. And uh, there's really nothing uh, like either of these two games. Now I'm just going to be kind of going through all the notes that I have uh, about this. Um, so I apologize if my thoughts are kind of disjointed or all over the place, but there's a lot of things that I want to make sure I talk about. And so I've got like bullet points here of topics I want to hit on. Uh, basically the gameplay loop for both of these games is revol uh, revolves around stealth. Uh, the whole goal is to sneak up on your enemies and trigger these different levels of executions. Uh, the longer you hold down the action button, the more nasty uh, an execution will be. And um, there are three different levels of these executions indicated by the colors that the reticle around your enemy you're facing changes. Um, and the whole goal is to progress through these levels and survive. You can hide in the shadows, you can make uh, noise by tapping against walls or throwing bricks and bottles to attract enemies, but basically it is kill or be killed. And this game really nails the horror aspect of everything. It has an incredible atmosphere. The whole game is washed in this lo-fi, uh, like, film grain, but not, like, film grain, like, VHS, like, uh, like, tracking look to it that really works well given the, uh, the subject matter. You always feel like you are being monitored. You always feel like you're being watched. Uh, cutscenes, uh, whether it be for story or for the executions, will cut to this like CCTV uh, static camera angle. It just really nails this uh, really grimy, lo-fi VHS look. And the a lot of the suspense and atmosphere comes from this incredible score by Craig Connor, who composed tracks for, uh, for the levels that will evolve. Uh, there's like a more ambient sound at the beginning when you are uh, sneaking around exploring then it picks up a bit if uh, enemies are searching for you and then it totally cuts loose if enemies have spotted you and are chasing you and so there's like each track has like three different uh, like characteristics to it which you see a lot in uh, video games but it just it really I love the score for this game. It has a really uh, industrial, dark wave, um, again, like low-budget horror movie sound to it with a lot of synthesizers and ambient noise and uh, percussion, and it is incredible. Um, I still think this game looks really good, but I also like um, the way early Rockstar games look. I like the kind of... I don't know how to describe it, but, like, if you've played, like, Grand Theft Auto 3 or Vice City, that kind of almost, like, ragdoll, like, 
like stuffed animal look <laughs> that all the characters have. I kind of like, um, and I just I think uh, all the environments are appropriately dingy and rusty and gross and uh, look lived in and looked like they were heavily lived in and then abandoned and it creates this really strange world that you almost feel like you're walking through some sort of uh, post-apocalyptic city where like almost like uh, something like Escape from New York where it's just like violence is everywhere and this is just one of those cities where half of it is abandoned and deserted because there is no reason to live there and it really nails that look um which leads me into uh all the character designs are super memorable Cassius is a little bland he's just kind of like in a prison jumpsuit and he's just a bald shaved vin diesel looking dude but the character designs for all the gangs that you're going to be facing are incredible and super memorable. And each gang faction, like the director says in the game, has their thing. Um, so you have, like, the famous, uh, this, the white supremacist gang that wears a lot of, like, hockey masks and hoods. And then there's, like, people that wear... Uh, pantyhose over their head and then there's all the inmates of the asylum that are called the smileys that have these really grotesque rictus grin masks and there's this uh, almost like uh hispanic uh uh like uh day of the dead inspired gang all the character designs in this game are really memorable and really cool Coupled with ex pretty good voice work uh, from the, just like the, sort of the kind of banter you'll hear from enemies as they're just walking around. But the star of this game is Brian Cox as Starkweather, the director. You have an earpiece in and he sort of feeds you direction as you go through the levels. And he is delightfully twisted in this role of... Just, like, obviously achieving, like, orgasmic ecstasy from the violence you're causing, and then simultaneously being frustrated when you're not killing people fast enough or good enough for his liking. It is a sick and twisted role in the best possible way, and Brian Cox is a phenomenal actor and gives it uh, all the gravitas that, like, you would expect from him in an actual movie. Uh he is he's worth playing this game for alone his performance is wonderful um and again the gameplay loop is just it's super tense given that like any wrong move can throw off your timing and it works really well for stealth and for a horror game and it's when this game works it really really works um, however, a lot of problems with it as well, and that's why I said that it's hard to just give blanket recommendations to both Manhunt games. There's a lot of caveats to recommending, uh, the first Manhunt, at least. Um, there's a lot of inconsistencies with the AI, mainly in their pathing, especially if you, like, tap on walls or throw rocks and bricks it never 
really seems like they go exactly where you want them to go. It, like, they go into, like, a vague area of where the sound happened. And you kind of then need to plan around that. And normally this just kind of, like, fucks everything up and throws their pathing off. Um, there's a lot of instances where the AI can get, like, stuck in loops and just, like, walk back and forth, and it just, it all, sometimes it seems like just making a noise, trying to get their attention, just screws up things even further than if you were to just, like, plot out where their, uh, where their, uh, uh, pathing would go, um, where their, like, uh, sentry, uh, is... Um, and this issue carries over if uh, you die or if you uh, reload a checkpoint. I've noticed several times that the AI seems to start in different paths given just given any time you reload a checkpoint, which makes sense because I, the game is just saving your spot, not the exact like moment of the game, I would assume. I also have to preface, I know very little of how video games actually work. I understand the bare basics because I watch a lot of YouTube videos and I play video games, but I don't really know how any of this works. Um, but yeah, reloading your checkpoints seems to put AI on different paths. Um, this can also happen in Manhunt too. It's a double-edged sword because... If you reload a checkpoint, this can really uh, help reset a disastrous run if everything is going wrong and everyone is chasing after you. But also, like, then it throws off your whole flow of maybe the, how you were going to plot out your next execution or how you were going to move through the level. And it just it puts a wrench in things. Um, the biggest issue with Manhunt is the back half of this game really becomes a slog. Uh, there's an over-reliance on gunplay in the back half. A very, There are very few moments in the back half of the game where it is treated like the stealth segments, like at the beginning of the game. It's really just shooting dudes. Now, feasibly, you can... There are probably ways, if you're better at video games than I am, I am notoriously bad at every video game, uh, there are feasibly ways that you could sneak through some of these levels, or at least parts of them, but it just it's not a super viable option when there are so many bad guys and they all have guns. And this deflates a lot of the tension when you can like then break the game's AI and just bottleneck them. And, like, lure them to one location and just mow them down. What's interesting about this is because the game up until this point really encourages you not to get into direct confrontations with the enemies. Um, there is hand-to-hand -hand combat, but it's really clunky. It's really sluggish. And it's not a super viable option. And when bad guys start showing up with guns, you don't tank bullets. You're usually you can usually be killed in like maybe three or four well placed shots. So the game is really like designed and encouraging you to play it carefully, sneak around, do the executions that we're getting all this controversy for. Um, until the back half of the game where it's like, eh, well, I think we've done that enough, let's just shoot dudes. 
And because, like, you're not a tank, because you die pretty easily, this results in a lot of deaths, uh, with, with inconsistent RNG, with, uh, the weapon, uh, accuracy, and damage input and output, and, again, for the most part, it doesn't feel unfair, like, again, I am bad at video games, but I'm trying to think of what I want to say. For the most part, it doesn't feel unfair. It's just incredibly gratuitous. It almost makes me feel like how I felt when I played Hotline Miami, where you're almost playing this like twisted puzzle game with guns, and you need to like trial and error, figure out the best way to go through each level. But again, it usually just devolves into um, bottlenecking bad guys and just mowing them down. There's not a whole... I don't feel like there's a whole lot of thought put into the way that these levels focus more on shooting dudes were thought out. With a few exceptions, there are a couple moments where there's some verticality to the level, so you uh, are then in a sniper, like Crow's Nest, and that kind of brings some variety, but otherwise, it's just... It still feels like the stealth gameplay, but with now guns in, uh, inserted into it. I should also mention, though, the guns sound fantastic. They sound really, they are really loud and really menacing, especially contrasting how quiet most of the game can be. Um, it really, it kind of ups the horror a little bit because guns are so loud and so scary sounding. Um... Uh, there's everyone there, uh, going back to how the back half of this game is a slog. There are a couple of escort missions, everyone's favorite. They're not terrible, and they are implemented pretty okay. You can give your companion uh, like instructions to hide in the shadows while you clear the next part out, and then come back and get them. Um, it's pace breaking though, and also the second escort mission. The second escort mission is a lot shorter, um, but does have this weird idea thrown in where if you're gone too long, long from them, they'll get scared and run run after you, and then like alert everyone to, to your position, so you have like X amount of time to get back to them. It's very strange. Um, not the worst escort missions I've ever played, but definitely feel weird and pace-breaking here. However, I will say that the last two levels of the game really bring it back on track and really make the emphasis more on stealth and mood and just dark, oppressive horror environments. Um, the last level, Deliverance, is really, really cool. You are in uh, Starkweather's mansion's attic being chased by a character called Pigsy, who is this large man in a in almost like a leather like a leather face looking pig's head chasing you with a chainsaw. And this whole sequence is about hiding and sneaking up on him to get his health down low enough so you can trigger how to defeat him. Um I should mention this well, I'll mention that when I get more into story. You're probably wondering, who's Pigsy? Well, so am I. But I'll mention that later.
Um, there is an issue with this level, though. Uh, to defeat Pigsy, you need to you need to like lure him up to the top floor of this mansion. I I know we just said we we're in the attic. The level layout doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You need to lure lure him to this like this uh, platform in this stairwell that has a grate in the middle of it for some reason. And you notice, like, you notice the first time when he walks over it, the grate, like, buckles underneath him. So you figure, okay, we need to lure, lure him back over it again, and then the grate will fall, and he will fall to his death, which is what you do. There is no indication in this level that that is what you were supposed to do. The only reason I knew that that was what I was supposed to do is because I had watched reviews and other people talk about this game beforehand. I am sure I would have been absolutely out of my mind frustrated had I not done that. Because it is not, excuse me, <laughs> it is not telegraphed clearly at all what, how you are supposed to defeat Pigsy. That being said, great final levels. They are very intense, very dramatic, very atmospheric, and kind of makes up for the five or so levels that were just a brutal slog to get to. So, who's Pigsy? That's kind of the other big issue with this game, is it's very light on story, which in a way is good, because the darkness of the subject matter really captures the imagination and stirs up a lot of disturbing uh, theories and imagery that you can kind of fill in the details yourself of what's going on. Um, but there are a few things that sort of could use more explanation. I've come to know that most of the backstory of characters is told in the game's manual. So, like, current players of this game just aren't going to know certain things about these characters unless they look it up on the Manhunt wiki or whatever. Like, we don't really know who Starkweather is or why he has, like, this snuff film ring and why he has this legion of, like, mercenary bodyguards and how he can get seemingly this whole city to like bend to his will there's like one throwaway line where he's talking to the p police chief talking about like how much he's paying him or something like that and then the other big question is who the fuck is pigsy like pigsy shows up in a couple of cutscenes, and then all of a sudden he's on the loose and then in the final level you're fighting him and there's really no like other pomp or circumstance as to that he's not really established as someone that cash needs to deal with until the final level come to find out that pigsy used to be stark weathers leading man in his snuff films until like the obviously the psychological toll really fucked him up and then he was basically being held prisoner in stark weathers attic so he wouldn't escape and like tell everyone or something um again no mention of this in the game and another big issue is we don't really know much about the guy you're playing as james earl cash he's on death row so we know he is a bad guy like he i mean 
I mean, that's I'm not gonna totally go into the whole thing about death row and the <laughs> uh, how many men we have falsely put to death. That's neither here nor there. But for the purposes of this video game, we can assume he is a bad guy because he seems to have no issue just murdering people in the most horrific ways imaginable without even like batting an eye. There is an attempt at some characterization in the level strapped for cash. The whole new sick game is that Starkweather has kidnapped a member of members of Cash's family. And you have to rescue them, and every time you get spotted, a gang member will execute one of them. Later, like a couple levels later, you find out that Starkweather recaptures your family and has them killed anyone. Anyway, excuse me. And this visibly upsets Cash. He sees the video, he picks up the TV and hurls it across the room. That is like the only moment of characterization that we get of Cash. And that also, it's not helped by the fact that when he does speak, it is really just macho, tough guy. Who are you? What's going on? Like, there's really not a whole lot to read into there. Um, but again, this story kind of works being on the lighter side because it is so twisted that it does leave a lot to the imagination. And while the answers are available somewhere, I wish that more detail was given um, in the game itself. But that pretty much closes out my thoughts on the first Manhunt. Overall, I would give the first Manhunt... I would say maybe like a four out of five, three and a half to four out of five. There is, like I said, I really like this game when it is really banging on all cylinders. It is moody, atmospheric, dark, gritty, disgusting, violent, twisted, and just a great horror experience with a really shocking but honestly fun gameplay loop of stealth and executions. However, the game really slows to a crawl when you're just blasting dudes for, like, way too long. And the story really could be so much more. Coupled with the fact that there's just AI issues that really can break the immersion and the flow of the game. So, I'd give it, like, a 3.5 to a 4. But I still, still love that game. Every so often. Just need to come back to it. And finally... After I've like, had this game since high school on Steam, finally beat it last week. And I've, it's usually around the time that guns start coming into play that I would lose interest, but finally sat down and beat the motherfucker, and I'm, I'm happy about that. Proud of myself. Go me. So let's talk about Manhunt 2. Excuse me. Thirsty. Most of what makes Manhunt 1 uh, a great game, or at least most of what m the best aspects of Manhunt 1 are back, and then some. Um, later in the... Oh, I should... Uh, sorry, I've apparently never done a podcast before. I'm going to read Rockstar's uh, website synopsis of Manhunt 2. 
An experiment at a secret research facility has gone catastrophically wrong. Daniel Lamb and Leo Casper are the only surviving subjects. The Pikmin Project will stop at nothing to hunt them down and stop the truth from getting out. Demented screams echo around the dank asylum that has caged you for the last six years. You open your eyes. A white-coated body slumps to the floor through your shaking hands. A bloody syringe slips from your arm. Waves of confusion and paranoia crash over you. You have no idea who you are or how you got here. The door to your cell is open. One choice, one chance. They took your life. Time to take it back. Now this I know for certain is on the back of the Manhunt 2 box because I do own a couple physical copies of it. I should also mention what's funny is there's a link on the Manhunt 2 page on Rockstar's website for buy now. You click it and nothing comes up, <laughs> uh, which is to be expected, but I just think it's funny that they even have that link at all. It's at least nice that they still acknowledge this game's existence. Um, oh yeah, sure shit, it even has the AO rating on their website. That's really quite interesting. Um, but yeah, um, higher tech uh, means... Uh, We've got more variety and character in the locations. Really good-looking locations and lighting effects. Again, that like dark, twisted, oppressive atmosphere is back full force. Still using the VHS sort of film grain look to everything, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense given this game's story, but that's neither here nor there. I still think it's a good look for this series. Um, the first handful of levels in this game are delectably trashy. The Asylum, the Sex Club, the Red Light District, it really sets up the vibe. It really sets up the mood of the type of experience you're in for. I, I should mention this game takes place in another fictional city in uh, Rockstar's uh, fictional universe called Cottonmouth, which is hee-hee funny. Um... It's based off a lot of southern cities. There's a lot of influence from uh, New Orleans, which I think is cool. I, I think the locations in this game work really well. In the first half of the game, in the back half, it gets a little weird, but we'll get to that when we get to the story. Violence is still visceral and stomach-churning at points. Uh, that execution system is back. Still works pretty much the same way it did in Manhunt 1. You can still... You got three levels of executions... You still got tapping on walls. You still got hiding in the shadows. You still got thrown bricks and rocks and severed heads sometimes even. You could do that in Manhunt 1 as well. I just forgot to mention it. Um, the new induction is, of course, I think one of the main reasons this game got so much pushback is with the Wii port and with the PC port, there's sort of these... Uh, motion controls for the executions which you can turn off in the pc port i don't think you can in the wii port because it's the fucking wii um but basically like you swing and move and jerk and rotate your mouse to the actions that you were performing so it really it, it truly feels like i'm there mom uh, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it, it really doesn't but also I like to think of myself as a pretty well-adjusted individual when it comes to understanding that video game violence is real and should not be perpetrated, and I should not be putting plastic bags over people's heads. Um, because I never really mentioned that, like, the whole the whole thing is, like, it's all, like, melee weapons that you're executing people with, 
In Manhunt 2, they do have the ability to execute people with uh, guns, but it's a lot of, like, glass shards, knives, baseball bats, plastic bags, etc., etc., which... I mean, no fucking duh, these games are controversial. They were, like, almost built intentionally to be controversial. I, I never understand how Rockstar could release these games and be like, Oh, what? It's just an expression. It's just art. And it's like, I mean, it is. And I am, at the end of the day, on their side. But it's just like, well, yeah, I fucking truthfully don't know what you were expecting. I think this game still holds up visually. Um, I prefer the art style of Manhunt 1 a little bit more to... Manhunt 2, mainly on the character model front. Um, when it's weird, late era PS2, uh, especially with Rockstar like Grand, uh, San Andreas and uh, this game, um, when when the tech was advancing and getting closer to like more quote unquote realistic graphics, it makes something a little more uncanny valley look to me i there's something weird looking about all the character models in this game that i just can't put my finger on but i don't like <laughs> but the environments are really well rendered and still look pretty good um and for of course we need to get into you would think that like maybe rockstar would have learned from some of the issues that manhunt one did but it really doesn't seem like it or at least maybe the, some of these issues were harder to fix than they anticipated. Um, but there are a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of things that holds Manhunt 2 back in the same way that uh, held Manhunt 1 back. Um, starting with a weird one, the PC port, I, I haven't done any research and I can't confirm this, but I feel like the PC port might have been like ported from the Wii code. Because when you use guns, everything feels really floaty. Almost like if you've used a Wii remote for like a first-person shooter, you kind of know what I'm talking about, where everything feels really floaty because it is like following your movement. When you use a mouse, you just kind of like snap to where you want to go. It always it feels like I'm like... It feels like the mouse is, like, emulating a Wii Remote. I feel like I'm just, like, swinging my gun left and right whenever I, like, aim down the sights. But this is all speculation. But it would also make sense why the PC port, for lack of a better term, has motion controls for the executions. Um, again, there is the issue with the back half of the game becoming more reliant on guns. But gunplay is better than Manhunt 1. A little too, a little too much better, honestly, because it overcorrects and becomes too easy. Because there's like a hard lock on uh, for headshots, which are an insta kill for any gun, um, which is fine. Uh, but because uh, Manhunt One's gunplay segments could be infuriating, but this again like almost trivializes them. Um, there's a new mechanic introduced. Where if you're hiding in the shadows and you get a uh, uh, hunter's attention to uh, look for you, if they are like staring in the shadows searching for you, a little circle will appear and you need to keep this with your mouse. You need to keep a dot inside the circle as it moves to like emulate holding still or holding your breath or something. 
this always felt super jittery and weird to me and i don't know if it's just because modern hardware and mouses have higher dpi settings um it just always felt like i was on the verge of fucking these up and i was just and i was barely moving my mouse um gameplay in for this game in general seems easier uh i i'm fairly certain you regain health after executions because i i thought i noticed it when i was playing the pc version and then i i turned on my psp for shits and giggles and i definitely noticed it then so i think you regain health for executions at least on the easier difficulty i have never played this game on the harder difficulty um the gunplay like i said is easier and uh you just you you have tankier health like you can take shots like a fucking Chad <laughs> in this game, um, not like that pussy James Earl Cash could. No, I'm kidding. Um, and I think like, sorry, spaced out there. I'm really, really trying my best here. I don't know what my story is today, but thank you for listening. <laughs> um, uh, the difficulty of this game is kind of reflected in my playtime for these two games. It took me between like 10 and 11 hours to beat Manhunt 1. I think it took me between, I mean, because I'm, I found this game somewhere and not through Steam. I think it really only took me like 5 to 6 hours to beat Manhunt 2, but I can't confirm that with like an actual like playtime uh, display anywhere. Um, if there is any sort of difficulty, it really comes from enemy placement, and sort of like the issue with Manhunt 1, taunting them to uh, bring them where you want, whether it's tapping on walls or throwing sticks and rocks and bones and whatever else, uh, never really seems to get them to go to the same place twice. Um... And in the later levels, this really becomes a hassle because there's this one level where you're running through a neighborhood being chased by the police. And the just the way that they are spread out, it just makes it really weird and difficult to get them to go anywhere you want without like running directly into their vision and then having them chase you and then hiding right away. Um, but... It's one way to do it, I guess. Um, which leads into my next point. The it, the AI issues in this are really bad. Like, pro maybe even worse than Manhunt 1. With pathing issues, with their, like, routine breaking, and they'll just, like, zip around in circles or zip back and forth. And you can, like, watch them on the radar as their arrow just, like, moves back and forth. And they're, like, facing the same direction. Um... There's an inconsistency in the fact that sometimes when, like, the AI is searching the shadows for you, that weird keep-the-cursor-in-the-circle minigame will pop up, but then sometimes it won't. Um, it just, in general, seems much worse than Manhunt 1, and I don't really know why that would be the case, uh, other than the fact that they just, like, didn't tweak the AI that they built for Manhunt 1 enough um manhunt 2 has a very deliberate attempt at telling an expansive and immersive story um which is cool because like i just said i wish the story of manhunt 1 
was a lot more. However, <laughs> the story for Manhunt 2 is not super interesting and is in fact super derivative and predictable if you've seen like any movie. Um, you play for the majority of the game as the aforementioned Daniel Lamb, who has uh, amnesia and is trying to piece together why he was in the asylum, who he is, who the project is that Leo keeps telling him about, and he works his way through this dilapidated city, uncovering more and more about his past, how he was a doctor working on this uh, incredibly... Uh, incredibly controversial experiment and it this the thing about this story is it's like it's not bad on paper it's just it's routine and i've seen it done before and it overstays its welcome it's paced really weird there's a handful of levels that are flashbacks where you and in these flashbacks you play as leo which is <laughs> getting ahead of myself anyway there's these flashbacks that'll just like break the pace because it's like okay now we're doing this and then right before like the final two levels there's this weird like narrated segment that danny gives where he's like we spent weeks like searching for this final clue and it's like weeks really like We've spent all this time getting, to, like, with all these flashbacks, and now we're just, like, gonna jump ahead weeks? It just, it seems really... The, the pacing of this story is fucking weird. Um, I don't want to get quite in, into the depths of it, obviously, in spoiler territory. I will say that the enjoyable lead characters make up for a lot of the shortcomings of this story. They are performed really well. Danny uh, and Leo are both super memorable. Leo is not quite as uh, enjoyable as Brian Cox's uh, Starkweather. Um, Leo is uh, the person giving you guidance through the game, and he's just always, like, just really just screaming <laughs> most of the time. Just, like, it's just like there's no subtlety to his performance i will say which brian cox as stark weather was very over the top but there was at least dynamic range to his character but they're enjoyable it makes up for the fact that the hunters and main villains in this game are really just not super memorable there's no gimmick to their appearance it's a lot of dudes in like either like bdsm type masks or full, like, uh, sex dungeon outfits, or uh, just, like, dudes in suits and weird masks for the most part. It's nowhere near as uh, colorful or interesting as the first game. Um, what What's so weird about this game's story, ultimately, is it's really almost like sci-fi in comparison to Manhunt 1's more believable and grounded story. But it leads to some good moments, and the game has multiple endings, which is interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of what I want to say next, because there's the biggest thing about the story of this game is there is a, there's a substantial twist. But like I said, if you've ever seen... Maybe if you've seen a movie, per, per chance, like Fight Club you could pretty easily predict this 
twist within the first couple of levels of this game. It is... It is a valiant effort to pull the rug out from underneath the player, but it is painful when the player is way ahead of what the twist is going to be. And the twist is the fact that Leo, or excuse me, Danny was working with this group of scientists to implant a consciousness into the head of someone to make the perfect killer the perfect soldier danny volunteered to go under this practice surgery but instead of getting a control personality put into his brain he was given the personality of a violent psychopath in the form of leo casper yep leo casper is tyler durden he is not real or at least not real in the sense that like uh, someone else in the scene could see and talk to him. And it's cute. It's really... I like that Manhunt 2 tries to tell a darker, more layered story. But it ultimately fails because it's just not told very well. Um, the game feels less horror-oriented and more like an exploitation film. Which is cool. Um, it still results in great moments. Uh, the level of... The horror really comes from the same things that uh, came with Manhunt 1, where you're just your one guy running through these environments, covered head-to-toe in blood, being chased by everyone on the planet. But the story is just not in service to what the gameplay actually is. It's very hard to de describe, but... It, that's the way I feel, at least. I had to pause for a moment. The cat's been fucking around on my desk, and then I, of course, fell off of it. So, that's what you get, little guy. That's what you get. He's okay. Don't worry, though. Um, anyway, I was talking about the story of this ludicrous <laughs> game uh, where you can explode people's heads with a sledgehammer. Um... Oh, yes, multiple endings. Cool. Very cool. Um, and uh, there's merits to both of them. Uh, they're the bad ending, quote-unquote, is more horror-based, and the good ending is a more, like, upbeat resolution. It's weird because the ending of this... Both endings of this game basically will determine which personality is going to take over and live inside Danny's head. Um, the bad ending comes from you actually being better at the game. The bad ending sees uh, Leo take over. Um, but as I've mentioned, this is not incredibly difficult uh, because the game is so easy. It's just really easy to get the bad ending. But it is cool. It ends on this like sort of devilish shot of uh, um, almost like David Lynchian shot of Danny looking in the mirror and seeing Leo looking back at him. It's, it's, it's cool. It's, it's, it's Like I said, it's cute. It's, it's, it's a cool little spooky ending. Um, this is also, I should mention, just for PC, this is the way that you unlock the uh, bad ending um, because there's no scoring system in the console versions. That was part of the censorship as they had to take away the scoring system, which both these games have, which I didn't mention until now which is fine. Um, it doesn't make sense to have you be like better at the game to get the bad ending in the console versions, but 
Oh, excuse me. Um, so, that's kind of weird, but it makes sense. Uh, in a perfect world, uh, I think it'd be cool if there was, like, one challenging final level where the battle between Leo and Danny could go either way, and uh, that would determine the ending, although that's definitely easier on paper than to actually like program and execute because there's a lot of variables that you need to work through but either way again this this whole attempt at a story is not bad like these are not bad ideas it's just it's telegraphed very by the numbers and it's not super interesting and though the story has some good moments like the moment when you realize that leo in control of danny's body went back to danny's house and murdered his wife it is genuinely shocking when you hear danny's like internal screaming as he just stares blankly at the television it is this game is peppered with really good moments, but in a story that is really over the top and sci-fi and weird, especially given how different the first game is. But that's also the Rockstar formula, is to kind of do these uh, um, anthology sequels. Uh, there's never really been a direct sequel. Well, that's not entirely true. I guess uh, there has been, sort of, in the Grand Theft Auto games, but... I don't know... I don't know if any of this made any sense, but I had fun t talking about these games. Uh, closing thoughts on Manhunt 2 are very much the same as Manhunt 1. Um, probably, again, giving it like a 3.5 to a 4 out of 5. Um, still is wickedly fun to play when all the aspects are working together, but still has just terrible AI issues. Uh, moments where it forgets to be a stealth sequence, and a story that overcorrects into being super layered and deep, but ultimately vapid and not super interesting. In a perfect world, there would be some sort of combination between both games to create the, a genuinely really good stealth horror game, taking the best aspects from each, uh, but we don't live in that world. Um, it'd be cool if uh, someone maybe did what uh, Igarashi did for uh, uh, Bloodstained. It was basically like, oh, well, Konami doesn't have any interest in making a, a new Castlevania game in the style of what we did. I'm going to do it. Um, it'd be cool if someone did that for Manhunt, make like a Manhunt-like, although it'd probably be... Uh, legal nightmare because the ideas uh, for gameplay presented in these games are so uniquely these games that I'm sure they could not get away with it for long but if either of these games uh, piqued your interest or sounded uh, like something you would enjoy I encourage checking them out especially if you are a fan of horror gaming but are looking for something different from the two camps that you typically see in horror gaming I at the end of the day, hand on heart, do love these games. They are ultimately games that I will continue to revisit because there is a sick, twisted, dark experience awaiting for me um, that I will always appreciate and enjoy regardless of the shortcomings that both games have. And I think I will leave it there. That was a bit of a longer episode, but... I had fun talking about these games. I hope you had fun listening to me talk about them. 
uh, once again, we are back on, we're going to be on Tuesdays now instead of Mondays. I uh, appreciate you being patient with the change up there. Um, but I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, even though there's nothing on YouTube yet. Shoot us an email at monsters.midnight at gmail.com. Midnight, spelt incorrectly. You can follow me at letterbox, letterbox.com slash mattflamingo. If you are interested in my opinions on movies outside of the realm of horror, I try to write about everything I watch and I post it there. Until next time, my tender lumplings, stay tuned. <laughs>